record this. So today we are going to be starting uh, again up in chapter 25. We ended in chapter 24. But from really from Paul's third missionary journey, um, which starts in the end of chapter 18, all of that and chapter 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25, all are sort of the beginning of act three, if you're looking at this as a film um, or a story, this is act three. This is where everything's starting to culminate, not only in the purpose of the book of Acts, that becomes magnified, but also in Paul's specific calling as an apostle to uh, take the gospel to the Gentiles. And I believe this is today, hopefully will really encourage you because um, Paul really didn't know the direction that God was taking him. He, he was starting to talk about it. Through, we see in some of these verses here, which I'll bring up, he starts to talk about, you know, some of his own personal desires But then we think of the scripture, it's God that works in us, right, to do for his good pleasure. So Paul really didn't even know, but yet he's talking about what direction he's going in. And that direction is Rome. And he starts to talk about it. And then God, his miraculous uh, provision, brings Paul to the point where he's about to go to Rome without him even trying it, trying to do it, I should say. It's God moving him in circumstances, certain circumstances that really aren't good. That would seem to be like, I wouldn't want to be in there. Why couldn't God just say, Paul, go to Rome? God doesn't do that. Paul takes him through various trials, uh, various difficulties and, and doesn't take him out. Right. And this has really been on my heart lately. God doesn't take us out of our trials he goes in our trial with us. And, and, um, and that's where we're allowed to have joy. Uh, that's where we have joy, I should say, because that unspeakable joy of knowing you are in the midst of the mire and muck, but yet you have a peace because you know it's God who's carrying you through it. And so th- I, I can relate to that. This week, for me, was the busiest week that I ever had here as a pastor since I, since I started. And uh, it was so cool to see the Lord make things work where I thought they were never going to work. How am I going to get, I don't have time, you know. Uh, how am I going to st- uh, prepare Sunday? And how am I going to prepare fully with, for one of the most difficult messages uh, on, for our sermon today? is a very difficult message, um, which should encourage you all. And... Uh, <laughs> But it was, uh, it was difficult, and then we had so many issues you know, going on that required my attention, all good stuff. But it's amazing that God tested me and pushed me to my limit, and it gave me more confidence now to say, hey, when this happens again, I just got to do it. And then I got a phone call from a friend of mine who uh, she's uh, been in ministry for like 20 years, full time, doing 10 times more than I've ever done in one week, Tina. Yep. And, uh, she just happened to call me about something unrelated. And I said, I'm, I'm running to to Ezzy's pep rally and I have my sermon, all my books and everything. I'm sitting in the parking lot. She goes, Pat, listen, 
she reiterated the, the very thing that God spoke to my heart. He's going to take it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to do it. And uh, you can't worry about it. You just keep moving forward. And so this is exemplified, I believe, in these passages today. So I'm going to go through very quick review, well, quick reviews, but not forcing it so we just get to 25. If we have to split this up into a couple weeks, I have no problem with that. I'm no, in no hurry. I really want you to see the minutia of this on how God worked. And so we're going to start, if you, um, if you have a, a Bible uh, or your phone or whatever and you want to follow along, you can. It, it may be helpful for you to make notes. It's up to you. I won't judge you if you, don't, if you don't do that. I never do it when I'm listening to a sermon. I just like to zero in on the preacher and really absorb it and maybe jot down some notes. So either way is fine. In verse 19, I'm sorry, chapter 19, it's Paul's um, third missionary journey. And he is in Ephesus. And this is one of Paul's longest stays when he was out traveling, even longer than he was in uh, Corinth uh, and, and um, some of the other areas that he stopped, Galatia and things like that. Ephesus um, was a place in chapter 19 where we see some very uh, important things that the Lord shows us. Number one, when Paul gets there, he meets a group of people that had the Holy Spirit because they were believers, but they weren't empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to do the work of the ministry that they were called to do in Ephesus. And if you see um, the... Uh, distinction between that? Yes. I have the Holy Spirit, but I'm not empowered by it? No, you're empowered by it. Yeah, so let's look at it. Um, so it says in chapter 19, and, and thank you, Pat, because I do want to mention that this is an interactive time. So if you have a question, just raise your hand. We may stay on that question the whole time, or we may answer it quickly. I don't care. The important thing is that we absorb this. So it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Can we have a disciple? That's, that's non-possessive of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't possess it. No, we can't even begin, right? And we know that the whole of scripture teaches that those that believe in God and that are his disciples, are, they have the Holy Spirit within us. But he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now we know in the context of the book of Acts, receiving the Holy Spirit um, is 99% of the time about the Holy Spirit coming, EPI, the word is, upon somebody. Not in, which is a different word, or with, like Jesus says, the Spirit will be with you. This is a specific instance that's dictated and determined by God, not us. We, can, we should be praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we should be praying for God to come upon us with power. And, and I've overused this, but since Kevin is not here and only Elvira is, and probably you guys remember, of the full, uh, you could think of being a Christian as being a full glass of water, water being the Holy Spirit. But when God baptizes you in the Holy Spirit, 
Picture just pouring water on top of that. And what does it do? It overflows. And this is the promise of Jesus, right? That out of your belly is going to gush the living water. And it says in that passage in John 15, I believe, if I'm mistaken, I apologize, but it's talking about right after that, it says he was referring to the Holy Spirit, which will be given after his ascension, after his resurrection. And so we see very, all the references in the whole, of, of the Holy Spirit coming upon people um, are in the book of Acts, uh, very specific about that overflowing and that overflowing goes to other people. It's a picture of flowing out for this and it's for the service of ministry. It's for the works of God. <clears throat> and, um, and so a, a great book on this, if you, uh, you, you want to really, really study it, is by Martin Lloyd-Jones and it's called Unspeakable Joy. And it really, it's a series of uh, sermons into text all about the, the, how the church is lacking this and how God is desiring to do that. But he, in a lot of the Pentecostal um, charismatic movements, they believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they, but they believe it's your, your ability to bring it on. Right with the laying on of hands, and if you don't manifest the Holy Spirit, you haven't been filled yet. You, you're doing something wrong. You're not having enough faith. No, that's not what it's in Scripture. Every instance of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone, the results are always visible, but never the same. Sometimes people speak in tongues. Other times, people's face shone like an angel. Right. Um, other times they heal people. Other times they speak the gospel in power, right? And then when they speak that gospel in power, the person hearing it, like Cornelius, gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can be saved and have the indwelling of the Spirit and be baptized at the same time. The other thing is that this is not a one-time thing. This is something that can happen repeatedly. And so... My, um, and so the, uh, what Paul does here, he says, no, we have never even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Okay, so John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And that was a typical thing, even with some of the, you know, the cultures around Israel at the time, the initiation culture to be in their pagan religion was always some sort of baptism. Sometimes they baptized in blood. Sometimes they baptized in water. So John was prefiguring the, the, the believer's baptism by his repentance, a baptism of repentance. And so they said into, John, they, they said into John's baptism, verse four, Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him, Jesus, who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so I don't necessarily know if this is, again, this is not formulaic. Oh, you want to be baptized in the spirit? You're saying, uh, I baptize you, Father, Son. No, you're doing it wrong. You got to say the word Jesus and in his name. That's not what they're teaching here. They're teaching in the baptism that happens after you believe in Christ that comes upon you with power. 
Because Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and they were all in about 12 men. Now, what is prophesying? Preaching the word. Preaching the word, yep. And prophesying too, like when you see people in the Old Testament, like Saul coming, you know, after being anointed king on his way to, to meet some of the elders, he started prophesying. And that is just basically praising and, and giving back to what God has given you as it relates to his word. Praising God in the things that you know. And this it's, is a Holy Spirit empowered praising of the Lord prophesying. Because we can all do that now. We can just praise the Lord and really not be under that, that power or the baptism of the Spirit. And so you will feel the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will feel empowered by God, you will feel at, typically at, at, at peace. You will have what you need for the situation. If it's boldness, you'll get boldness for that situation. Um, you know, sometimes as, as, as pre, when I preach and I ask the Lord to come upon me and fill me and just anoint me with power, sometimes when that ha- sometimes nothing happens. And other times, I don't even look at my notes when I'm preaching. Because God has just given me stuff, given me stuff. And that's sort of like the power of the Spirit and the prophesying. God is giving you the words. So then after, then any more questions on that, Ms. Mandika? Nope, I'm good. Thanks. You're good, okay. If you need, again, you, if you have questions, anybody can interject and interrupt me if they want. Um, so after this, Paul entered into the synagogue. He was there for three months. And it's very interesting here, hint number one, he was preaching about the kingdom of God, verse eight. Okay, he's preaching about the fact that God's rule over earth and mankind is now reestablished and is bearing down on them with that same authority that they were to have in Adam. But Adam messed up that authority and God started his plan, which was all along to bring, bring it to the point where the whole world is filled with his glory. And so if you're going to fill the world with the glory of God, if you're going to, 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 to give you a military analogy, um, you're going to invade a country and take it over. Not that I'm endorsing that, right? But we've seen, we've seen examples of that. That doesn't automatically make that country like allegiant to the United States or whoever takes them over. However, the the authority of that country, the invading country, if they succeed, will reign over the country. You follow me? And that gives us the picture of what God is doing with us now as we are in his kingdom, not in its fullness, the kingdom's coming into its fullness through you and I, we are building towards the kingdom of God in all the things we do in the power of the Holy Spirit for the Lord. You're doing outside, you're, you're, you're doing the, uh, the cutting the grass or you're in here preaching. Both are equally important because it's serving God and that is moving forward. This church, this our aspect and responsibility of the kingdom and we don't see it, but we are interlocked with all the churches in this country, God is moving in all the world. God is moving. 
the kingdom of God forward. And so Paul isn't saying he was preaching how to get to heaven, although that's not a bad thing to talk about, okay? But he's not preaching, um, you know, how to be able to do miracles or how to become prosperous. Nope, he is preaching that Jesus is king because of the resurrection and because of the ascension. And of course, when you preach the kingdom of God, you are basically saying you are not under anyone's authority but God. And when people hear that, they become hardened if the spirit doesn't open up their eyes because they're in their flesh. You tell someone in their flesh to obey your authority as it relates to spiritual things or religious things, they are going to reject it, okay? I had a phone call this week with a friend of mine, um, along, he's an old friend, and if he's listening to this, um, I hope he is listening to this, but if he is, please don't take it offensive, it's a great thing, but he was telling me that he goes to churches, various churches, and enters into them to just go in and pray to God by himself in Catholic churches, and then he's saying that he often preaches, pre- just to be sure, he prays to every God, the God of the Buddha, he prays to the God of uh, the Old Testament. He prays to this because somebody's going to help him, okay? And so I said to him, listen, man, I, I, I love that you're, that where you, where you, the direction you're going, but you have to make sure that you're praying to Jesus Christ because he alone is God and he's the one that can forgive your sins. Well, I don't know. I don't, we don't agree on everything, but we're still buddies and all that. And I said, absolutely, I love him to death. But he became hard. Once you talk about you're obedient to Jesus, one and only, no other way. Like here he says, but when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, verse nine, speaking evil of the way before the people, Paul withdrew and took the disciples that he just empowered to be his workers, side workers, compadres in the ministry, and, and he took them and they started daily teaching in the school of Tyrannus, which is a, a, a sort of like a university um, that allows you to rent out rooms and it's just, or a library, right? You can go to the library and you could teach for free and you could do all these things if you want to hold a seminar. That's sort of like it was, okay? But it was very much more in philosophy and religion. So he stayed there for two years. He actually stayed there in full for three. But he, does, he taught with these disciples all this time. And it says all that lived in Asia. Here's the map. Asia, all that lived in Asia, because Ephesus is right here. All the seven churches of Revelation are here. They were the most popular churches. However, who, what would you think was the head of all the churches? Ephesus. Ephesus was the biggest church and the strongest church. Now I could jump to a big conclusion. They were preaching the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm sure they all were, but Paul was there for three years and he was equipping these people and reasoning with them about Jesus Christ being king. And then we move on. We move on to um, uh, chapter 20. Before we move on to chapter 20, I do want to cover one thing because of what we spoke about last week uh, or maybe the week before about confession. 
If we go to chapter 19, <clears throat> we see that Paul was, uh, uh, it was told that seven um, sons of Sceva, a Jewish, uh, son, uh, who was a Jewish guy, they were saying to people, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And it was a person that was possessed by a demon. And that demon said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? I don't know you. He leaped on him, he beat the snot out of all of them, and that caused fear upon everyone because the name of the Lord was being magnified. So what did they do when they saw this? They came and started confessing their sins. But what else did they do? Does anyone know? They threw all their magic stuff in fire or something. They put it all, and it was worth about 50,000 pieces of silver, which is valued over a million bucks in our time. This was no ordinary repentance. This was real. They burned it all, but they also disclosed their practices in doing that. You see, sometimes we're afraid to confess our sins to others or even to God because we're so guilty and embarrassed by our practices. But when God causes you to repent, you are going to confess everything. You are going to pour it all out before him, pleading for help, pleading for his mercy, letting him know you have no idea how to get out of this. And that's when God starts to turn his head and go, it's about time. I'm ready to, I've always been here ready. And I am going to help you now. And I am going to give you what you need. And that's oftentimes where he baptizes you in the spirit and you just feel an anointing from the Lord and the power to turn from the sin. I thought that was important. So Paul ends up, uh, you know, this is, he's in Ephesus and he says in verse 21, hint number two. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, meaning the Lord was guiding him to Jerusalem. And he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Well, why, Paul? I I don't know. I just know I have to go there. All right. That sounds good. You know, this is God working in him, right? This is when you get a calling from the Lord. It's usually a desire that you have that starts inside of you. And you're like, oh, is this just me or is it the Lord? And then he confirms that it's him. And that's what's going to happen to Paul. You're going to see the confirmation that he is being led by Jesus to go there. And then they they took him and um, they drug him uh, into captivity because he was uh, the, the main god in Ephesus was Artemis. And it was a magnificent temple to her. It was the centerpiece of their not only their theology, religion, but also it was popular around the whole world. People would come to Ephesus to see this amazing temple. But what was happening is, is Paul, uh, verse 26, Paul was persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And this became a a problem because that was not only the the chief building and uh, tourist spot and religion, 
but it was also money maker, maker, right? Mm -hmm. A money maker. This is, this is, this was the real problem. People didn't care about that false God that didn't exist. They cared about the money that that false God was bringing them, right? And so we also, we always need to check our motives. um, And even as believers, so <clears throat> they ventured and they, they uh, pulled Paul. Um, they had him and they all went into this theater and the assembly was like in major confusion. And uh, one of the, when do we get the right word here? It was a, uh, an official, let's just say that, pro-council, uh, calmed the people down. So then Paul sent for the disciples in verse 20, uh, chapter 20, and he left to go to Macedonia. And then he ended up in chapter 20 um, in Greece. And so he ended up going to Philippi. And this is where we see Philip the evangelist was there and uh, his daughters who were prophetesses, if that's how you say it. And this is another great warning in verse 9. There was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome with sleep. Overcome with sleep. So obviously that tells us one thing is that long messages kill people. So this is a very good exhortation for the preacher but also for the person listening to preachers that are you know, trying to teach and trying to and sometimes go through some boring parts, if you fall asleep, heed this warning. Just kidding. Um, you guys do a great job. When your eyes are rolling and crossing, I pray for you. I pray for you. Don't sit by the window. Yeah, don't sit by the window. That's right. Well, here it's not that bad if we fall out. So... Oh yeah, good. Any questions so far? Any insights? Any any help that you can give the the teacher? I remember Eli the priest. He broke his neck falling off a little chair. Yes. Do you know why? Do you remember why? Yeah, yeah. The ark had been stolen. The ark had been taken by the Philistines, and the first thing he heard was that his sons were killed, uh, and one of his sons had a wife who was pregnant, he, that didn't bother him. The Ark of the Lord being taken. Ugh, and he was a heavy guy, he said, too. And he broke his neck. And then the woman who gave birth, what did she name the child? Does anyone remember? The glory has departed. Ichabod, right? And so that's the, the where we get Ichabod. Sometimes I see these businesses, um, I guess they're Jewish, with Ichabod you know, or Corbin, you know, it's like, I don't know if I would want the glorious departed. That's uh, on my, as my business. But anyway, I, I just had, um, yeah, yeah, please. I, I mark in Acts 20. And I think this uh, verse just represents Paul's um, old ministry, right? And what he did and all the oppositions, 20, 24. However, yep. Go ahead, uh, preach that. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Yep. Keep reading. Go to verse 30. 
32. Go to verse 32, El Gab. Now you started reading. Now I'm going to get you involved. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with its own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. The context here is that Paul going back to Jerusalem, avoided going back to Ephesus because he didn't want to, I guess, get held up. But instead, he called the elders of the church from Ephesus. So that's who he was talking to. And you could see, again, echoing back to Ephesus being the capital, read the book of Ephesians compared to the other letters to the cities, and you it stands out. I mean, it is just a glorious book, especially chapter one. It's just one big run-on sentence, like 40 verses, and you just, you, can, you have to stay in it for like a week because it's, but yeah, that this is my life, one of my life verses, you know. I don't consider my life of any account or dear to myself, but I, I'm going to consider my course with joy and the ministry which the Lord Jesus gave me to do what? to bind people's consciences and tell them how bad they are and and hammer them and warn people they're going to burn if they don't turn. No, testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. All that other stuff is going to find its way in the message if you say it right. But this is what Paul did. And then again, what does he say in verse 25? He went about preaching the kingdom and he said that he is innocent of the blood And he didn't shrink uh, shrink from the whole counsel or purpose of God. So this means to Paul the Pharisee and a scholar in the Hebrew scriptures, it's the whole Bible that talks about the kingdom of God. It's not just the New Testament. It's the Old Testament as well. And so, um, and then of course the warnings. So yeah, this is a great, great um, passage there. Thank you for reminding me, Elvira. I was, I was going to get to it, but you did it perfectly. I, yeah. I, when, I know I've shared that, but in, when I was young, I read that passage in Ezekiel about the, the watchmen. Mm-hmm. And it, this reminded me so much. Like his job was to warn the people of yeah. and if But it, and if he didn't warn them, the blood was on his head. Yeah. So I think this is what Paul is saying. And it's so powerful for us because yeah. we are that watchman. Yes, that's a type of the believer. So Ezekiel was that the prophecy of the Old Testament, the prophets are a type of the Christian believer who is to go out and preach the word of God to the world, not just to Israel. And if we don't do that, and again, I'm not trying to give you a formula. If you don't say everything at once when you first meet someone like I used to do, I used to... I got to share the gospel, man. Here, listen, sit down. Right? Um, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, my poor wife. I mean, she, we would go to like. I remember we were at a party one time, and uh, I went up to the to the guy who I didn't really know and said, "Hey, could I go give out these tracks to everybody in the party?" 
He's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Because I can't leave there with my blood on my hands. See, this is where the grace of God comes in, in the leading. You know, if you are willing and ready, which all of us here are, God will open the door. And so, and if he doesn't open the door, you can, you can test the waters a little bit, right? You can sort of dip your toe in and say, you know, hey, what, uh, you know, and I love football because this allows, this is a ministry for me with Ezzy's football and even Noah's now is I can I form relationships. And then there's certain people that are receptive. There's certain people that ask questions and then I could go, boom, what's your background? You know, where, you, you know, what type of Christian or what type of background you have, Christian background. And then I just listen. I let them talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And at the end, I'll ask more questions and then give the gospel, you know, at least the seed of the gospel, if not the whole gospel. And then the next time that seed will grow and we'll do it again. So yeah, there is a warning there. It was much different again with the, the way that God dealt with his prophets of old was much more strict than he deals with Christians. However, it says in James that the pastor teacher is going to incur a stricter judgment because now you are rep, fully representing God. You're representing Christ as the head of the church. And that's the, where the whole aspect of a preacher standing at a pulpit elevated comes from. You are representing Christ. And that's why it, it, females can't be pastor preachers, okay? Because it's, it's a correlation to the male. It's a correlation to Adam. It's a correlation to the second Adam Christ. And now we're to go out and emulate that. It's not that men are better preachers than women or better teachers. That's certainly not the case, you know? Well, most of the time it is, but <laughs> just kidding. It's not the case. I was just seeing if you're paying attention, but it's so, it's so, um, it's so important to, to, to do that is to be a, be a ready witness, preach this, uh, in season and out. <clears throat> so... Uh, it's God's grace in verse 32. We're going to talk about this today at the sermon. It says, and now I commend you. This is actually one of, the, one of my choices for a benediction. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his law. Grace. grace. The word of his grace. And what can that do? Build us up and give us the inheritance among the sanctified. Without God's grace, we have no inheritance. Without God's grace, we are not going to be built up. We are going to stay neutral. But with God's grace and being willing to go in to that throne, not be stay away, but go in, we are, uh, um, it's grace on top of grace. All right, so Paul sails uh, in chapter 21 from Miletus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Um, verse four, the spirit kept telling Paul, not to set foot in Jerusalem. Um, oh, wait, let me read that in context. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. Uh, this is Tyre and Cyprus. And they, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And I believe that, that this is not a contradiction. I believe God uses other believers to test us, right? How many sincere people that love Jesus Christ have told you not to do something that you believe God is leading you to do because they care about you. 
right? The Spirit is compelling me, Paul, to tell you to go to Jerusalem because you're going to get persecuted. That's not the Spirit of Christ, right? We're, we care. We, we, we love, but it doesn't contradict God's calling. It's testing Paul, I believe. And he, knowing this, is still moving forward. I'm sorry, I, I misquoted before. It's Philip the Evangelist here in Caesarea. I said it, I said it before um, in, in uh, Philippi for some, because that's a, his name is Philip in Philippi. So entering the house of Philip, the evangelist. Um, I, you know, I could stay on this for a little bit, but uh, <clears throat> they were prophets. His daughters were prophets as well. Now we have to remember, this is not condoning um, and contradicting 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 with the requirements for an elder and a deacon. He's talking about, and again, I know there is an argument for deaconesses, so I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what the scripture says in, in, those, in, those, um, in those passages. <clears throat> but this was before, this is sort of in the Old Testament order of being like, like Deborah, okay? She was a prophet before the Lord in the Old Testament because there wasn't, that's right, so there wasn't uh, any leaders in, during the book of Judges, so God raised her up, you know? And she was not a, not a, a pastor. She wasn't a Moses. She was a prophetess, and she led the people of Israel into battle, and um, she succeeded and was, and was definitely blessed by the Lord. A judge, no? She was a judge. That's right. Yeah. She was one of the, one of the judges, one of the rulers, one of the lowercase gods, as, as it's translated often. But this was before the New Testament was publicized and written. There were letters floating around, but don't ever think that these people had all their theology in order. You know, because we're usually like that. It's like, oh, I wonder not why they're not talking about total depravity here, right? They don't, they don't get the whole thing. They know the deal, but they don't have the ready scriptures and they don't know that there is no other revelation given other than what is in the New Testament and Old Testament. After AD 65, it was cut off. Jerusalem was destroyed and now there is no more. I believe John's revelation was written in AD 65. Not where the old commentators used to say it was AD 90. It's AD 65, I believe. That's a really good argument for that. So I, I err on that side. So again, <clears throat> they were speaking by divine inspiration. And uh, Paul tells us in Thessalonians not to reject and despise prophecy. We're not to do that. We're not to say, oh, this guy's, you know, but beware. If somebody prophesies something that is to be like something that comes to pass or anything else they say that doesn't come to pass, they've invalidated that. It must come to pass. So this shows you that this, these women were, they said things, they came to pass. And so this is a, a very much consistent with a father who's an evangelist. Yeah. And all the time it must come to pass. Yes. There's no room for error. It's not like, hey, I got five out of seven. Right. It's not a dice roll. You know, that's, God isn't, a, you know, a God he says and he does. And so he gifts people with that. And I've, I believe that those gifts are still active, um, certainly in the sense of preaching and witnessing and evangelizing. 
Um, but I also believe there's certain people that get a word from God uh, that aren't over-exaggerating, that aren't banking on that as their badge of you know, Christianity. You tell some of these people that you know, the, the, the miraculous gifts you know, are, substitu- are, are um, what's it, a subsidiary, would that be underneath? Subservient, Subservient to the law of Christ, which is love. Paul says it's better to have love than all the gifts. If you're not having love and your all oh, your identity is doing miracles, chances are God's going to take that gift away to get your head right if that was something that you were able to do. And it's only could God's. There's been times where I've prayed over people and uh, the Lord's like, just pray over them. And they tell me, you know, my, my brother or my son Ezra, for instance, Someone prayed over his ear. He had a bad, was it you, Noah? You had an ear infection, right? When somebody prayed over your ear, it got, went right away. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah. And then I had a, a big giant cyst on my chest. Do you remember that? That big, I had a big cyst here and I opened my shirt and it was a big lump. He goes, I'm going to pray over it. It went away, gone. I went to the doctor and everything. He diagnosed it as something or whatever, went gone. And then other times he prays over people and nothing happens. So it's God who does it and you are the vessel. Our job is to desire these gifts. Our job is to pray for the Holy Spirit's power, but our job is to be content with the grace of God. And so, okay, so chapter 21, I think we'll stop here. We'll continue with chapter 21. And again, I want you to hang on to this theme, the kingdom of God. And I want you to hang on to the direction where God is leading Paul, despite him even really knowing about it, which is Rome. Keep those two ideas until next week, because that's what we'll close with next week. Unless you have any questions now, Noah? Nothing? It's odd. <laughs> Just kidding. What was the second one? You said the kingdom of God and keep... And keep in mind where, the, where Paul's going, and that's Rome. And remember, we started out with A lot of times God works in us the desire and we really don't know what or how it's going to come to pass. God orchestrates Paul's entire trip to Rome through persecution. And so I'm going to flesh that out and we'll flesh that out next week. Good to go? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this discussion. May your words just fasten onto our minds and our hearts and our consciences and that we could think through these things this week. And may you have the glory, Lord, of all things, of everything and in every way. May you have the glory and may you be with us during the worship and the sermon and the fellowship lunch today for your glory as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.